Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today, I'm joined by award-winning editor-in-chief of Women's Health UK, Claire Sanderson. Claire, welcome to the Power Hour. Thank you so much for having me. What a privilege to be here. Oh, I can't wait. We've got so many things to talk about today. So if you're happy, I'm just going to dive straight in with all my questions. Shoot. Okay. So I want to kind of take it back, I suppose, because you have had a passion for media from a young age. You've worked in the media for a very long time and it's an industry that has been transformed. It's Mm -hmm. been disrupted. You know, in recent years, we've seen digital content, audio content, social media, the way that audiences consume media just continues to change every year. So firstly, could you tell us about your journey into the media industry, how it started and what made you want to go into publishing? And then maybe tell us about how you've navigated this insane evolution of news and media over the last few years. Ooh, so I'm going back a long time because it was my 45th birthday yesterday. So I'm, uh, yeah, I've been in the media a long, long time because I joined the Daily Mirror when I was 21, straight from university. So I'm a qualified, trained news journalist. That's Mm. my background. And I wanted to become a journalist because I've always been really interested in current affairs. And I have my father to thank for that because I grew up in the South Wales Valleys in a working class mining village. And I um, remember having TV news on in the background a lot. And this was before 24 hour news. I'm talking about like the lunchtime news and the six o'clock news. But he religiously would consume news bulletins. And it was quite a politicised environment as well with the mining strikes and the poverty and the Thatcher years, etc. And the 80s and I vividly do remember and how that impacted my parents and, and watching it on the news. So I developed a, a real interest in in news from a young age and my parents had the Daily Mirror delivered every single day and I remember reading the newspaper from a young age as well. So to me, and I also loved writing, I was very good at English at school, so to me it seemed sensible to marry those two things and, and become a journalist. So I studied in London Um, studied um, English literature in London and I was lucky enough to get work experience on the Daily Mirror and that came about by luck and also a little bit of confidence on my part. So um, one of my modules at university was information science because this was in the infancy of the internet. This is in the late 90s and you actually could do a module about sort of research and information electronically which seems crazy now but Mm. at the time seemed quite forward thinking. And as part of that part of that module, you had to do work experience. And one of the options was to go and be in the Daily Mirror library because back then the the journalists didn't have access to the internet generally. How they would find out information is they would ring the librarians and say, Can you find me cuttings on this disaster that happened on this date and these librarians would go on the electronic library system and research information for them. It seems crazy now, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. So I went to the Mirror Library simply because I thought, right, that is my way in Mm. to a national newspaper and I I need to get my foot in somehow because this was at a time when nepotism was rife and I certainly don't have any relatives then or now who work in the media. 
Um, and also to, to get onto national newspapers, generally you need to have gone to Oxbridge and have a master's degree. And I wasn't at Oxbridge and I didn't have a master's. So I needed to get in some other way. So I went to the Mirror Library to do work experience. And one day I looked out onto the news floor and it was huge. And there seemed to be hundreds of journalists and reporters. And I saw Piers Morgan because he was the editor at the time. And I thought, right, this is my chance. So I walked out on the floor walked up to Piers Morgan. Be mind, I was like 19, little girl from the Valleys. And I said, hi, Piers, my name's Claire. Um, I'm in the library doing work experience, but I really want to be a journalist. And I think he was so taken back by like, who is she? Where did she come from? Did mm. she break in? <laughs> um, and he said, yes, okay, I'll introduce you to the news editor. And that's how it started. And I ended up doing work experience at The Mirror. And then I ended up getting a place on its very prestigious and competitive graduate training scheme. Mm. As I say, I wasn't Oxbridge, I wasn't, didn't have a master's degree, didn't have any family in the industry, but I managed to get in just through sheer hard work mm. and making myself indispensable at the mirror and just working really hard and saying yes and doing things and just being really compliant and and conf- um, enthusiastic. So that, that was my entry into, into journalism. I love yeah. that story for so yeah. many reasons. I think, you know, it's incredibly powerful to hear, as you said, you know, people probably see you now and you have obviously all this experience, but also you're incredibly, um, you know, the role that you have. I'm sure people are like, oh my goodness, you know, Claire Sanderson. And to hear you say, oh, oh you know, Welsh girl from the Valleys, you know, 19 years old. Didn't I think to have that confidence, that conviction, it, yeah. it's clear to me, it feels like it's just part of your personality your DNA to say as you said I'm just going to go for it this is my Mm. chance this is my shot I'm going to take that chance and not everybody will maybe have the confidence to do that but it just strikes me that you yeah had that tenacity and you mentioned the word work ethic so I'd love to kind of jump on that like how how would you describe your personal work ethic obviously by that story it sounds like you know you've worked incredibly hard but yeah how do you think that what are the other attributes I suppose that have taken you to the success that you've had so I do have an incredibly hard work ethic and I worked very long hours in my 20s. You know, at sometimes I maybe should have pushed back and say no, but I took every opportunity that came my way and I still take that approach now. I look at opportunities and think, right, how is that going to benefit me? And it may not benefit me now, but it could benefit Meeting that person might benefit me in six months. So I'm going to take that call. I'm going to take that meeting. And I've always had that attitude. What I also think has benefited me that I've remained authentic to my true self throughout my whole career. You can hear that I've got a strong Welsh accent. That was very unusual in the early noughties in national newspapers. I was bullied, in fact, for being from the valleys. I was called thick. I was called, you know, stupid. But my accent set me apart, especially when I was a news reporter, because I would go out and speak to people and I'm real Mm -hmm. and I'm approachable and friendly and genuine and that has stood me in good stead and throughout my whole career I very much adopted the attitude treat others as you want to be treated so I'm I I don't have a you know a rigid hierarchy in my team like we all get on really well and we're all we all just chat and are very approachable and I've always taken that approach and it's it's worked incredibly well for me and I just think having the gift of the gab is is an amazing gift to have. And my seven-year-old, Nell, has it too in spades. <laughs> and I can, I look at her and I think that girl is going to rule the world because she will actually have more opportunities than I did mm. because the, the 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 amazing gifts I can now give her in mm. terms of the, you know, the lifestyle that I now lead because it's very different to the upbringing I had. 
So I'm hoping that she will go on and do amazing things. Oh, I'm sure she will. And I actually agree because you know, you call it gift of the gab. But I say, you know, at school, I was always told you talk too much. And, you know, mm. that was the thing I always got told. My report said Adrian talks too much. And it's interesting, obviously, now as a podcast host, mm. as a keynote speaker, as an author, you know, speaking, sharing my ideas, being able to communicate, being able mm. to storytell, I think is a skill and a talent. But I also think it's a skill and talent that's going to be required more and more and more yeah. because as we're doing more digital things, more automated things, mm. I actually think the ability to storytell, to communicate, as you said, mm. to connect with people and have, you know, build relationships, um, I think is going to be even more of a, a, a an important skill to have. Mm. And when it comes to networking, you know, you said then you took every opportunity to say yes to a new meeting or meeting different people. I also, I think a lot of my, I guess, professional success has been not just the fact that I'm an extrovert and I love to meet people, but also it's given me more confidence, I think, mm. um, along the years to have a network of people. Yeah. So what would your, do you have any like strategies or recommendations or like things that you could suggest that people do if they feel like they don't have um, a network or, or how they can effectively build better professional relationships? It's, I'm going to go back to the point I said earlier. Just say yes to things that you you will be in, invited to opportunities, to events. And when you're at those events, so I went to an event on Tuesday night by Hearst Lab. Hearst Lab is a part of Hearst and Women's Health is owned by Hearst. It's the big, biggest publishing house in the world. And they have an investment arm that invests, invests in female founded tech startups. So they put on this network event on Tuesday night, which I went to, and I will go out of my way to talk to everyone in that room. Maybe not everyone, mm. but even I get a bit nervous thinking, oh, have I got the gumption just to walk up to that person and start talking? But you just have to quiet Quieten that voice, you know, get rid of the the FOMO and the imposter syndrome that we all have and just realise that everyone has those same insecurities and everyone's looking to build their networks and they'll actually be really grateful that you've gone to speak to them because mm. they're probably stood there too panicking about having to speak to people. Yeah. I also think just reach out to women especially because we need to hold each other up, women. Like mm. We need to advocate for each other. Let's not tear each other down because men... Not men are brilliant. Love men, you know. I'm not I'm not a man hater at all, but they will lay claims to attributes they don't actually have. There's mm -hmm. been research that yeah. you know on CVs or jobs, men will apply for a job if they feel they have thirty percent of the attributes, but women need to have seventy percent. I think that's an an actual stat. So you know, let the men get on with it. Women, let's support each other. Create your network of like-minded women. Reach out to women on social media if mm -hmm. you feel that they could benefit you in some way. Start a relationship like that and just be kind. Yeah, be kind and supportive of other women and reach out to them on LinkedIn, reach out to them on social media, but say yes to the invite. If you're invited to an event or if somebody approaches you about a job that you think that's absolutely not for me at this stage, take the call and go and, go and meet that person mm. because you never know what opportunity that is going to create. Um in six months' time, a year's time. And something I always do as well, if I make a new connection and I feel it's useful to my network, I will say to that person, who else should I speak to that yeah. you think that could, could benefit me, benefit what we're trying to achieve? So always grow your contacts book. Yes, I agree. And also when you mentioned, you know, you might not be right for the job or the role or is there someone in your network who would? Because mm. that's been a really powerful thing in my network. And I'm so grateful that I have it because I, I certainly didn't, I think, in my 20s, but in my 30s I have. And for example, I'll say, oh, you know what, I'm 
really busy right now, my schedule, I can't fit this in, or maybe I'm not the right person. However, you should speak to this person. She would love to do it. And like introducing mm. people in that way yeah. is just so great. And it's not always about, yeah, what can you gain? But actually, if you can become that connector as well, who mm. says, oh, I introduced this person to this person, or, oh, you should interview this person on your podcast, or you should, it, you know, if, if and when the time comes where you say, oh, hey, you know, there's something else, a different project that you're working on that you're passionate about, they're far more likely as mm. well to, to reciprocate that. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's power in being kind and supportive of other women and then that will be noticed by other women who are maybe more powerful than you but they can see you're someone that they need in their network. Yes. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to remember this myself actually, because I think at the moment, you know, post pandemic, we're going to talk about change, but I think post before the pandemic, I definitely was going to more things and I was, you know, just always seemed to be um, out and about and busy. And I think my lifestyle's changed a lot, you know, different focus, different challenges, stepchildren, all these things. And so often maybe I need to take that advice mm. of saying, carving out the space and say, yes, go to the event, even if you're busy, even if you have to get, yeah. you know, train home late, because it is, it is really, mm. really important. So I mentioned change. Now, something that I, I do in my work I do brand consultancy and I focus mostly on uh, well-being digital well-being you know wearable technology um so yeah fitness and well-being tech and having a future focus so for example looking ahead for signals of change you know disruption I mentioned this word a few times it's something that I really really enjoy I'd love to know how you approach change how mm -hmm. uh, we've mentioned you know the the industry is changing rapidly how do you as an individual and I suppose as an organization how do you stay motivated and engage with new trends and new technologies you know how do you stay relevant like it's mm. a real kind of pressure now yeah it is so yes you're absolutely right the media is evolving in, at such a rapid rate so you know I started in newspapers then I went to magazines then I took over Women's Health almost seven years ago and it was predominantly print then. And then since that time, we've grown enormously. So we're print, digital events across many, many social media platforms, Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, etc. And it is a challenge to stay re relevant and on top of all those platforms. But what I absolutely must have at the core of all the content is the woman's health credibility. So we're not going to compromise the quality and credibility of woman's health just because it has to go on a platform that maybe is more appealing to the younger audience, like TikTok, etc. And I know, I know, Adrienne, we've worked with you before at Women's Health. At the root of Women's Health is science-backed, expert-sourced content. You mm. know, we speak to world-leading experts. So regardless of what platform it's on, we make sure that's, that's at the core of it. Nevertheless, we do have to cut the content differently depending on what platform it's on. So mm. especially for TikTok, etc., which is exploding at the moment. If you think about it, TikTok really wasn't much of a thing a year ago. Like, mm. you know, a year, 18 months ago. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was a, it was around, but it wasn't the cultural phenomenon it is at the moment, is yeah. it? So, so I, I have an amazing team. I have an amazing digital team. I have an amazing social media manager, Jess Bantelman, who is... She has a finger to the pulse, you know, and I, and I have to lean on her. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm not someone who's too proud to say I know everything. I don't. I yeah. don't know everything. I can't know everything, you know, yeah. and the, TikTok is not my wheelhouse. Yeah. No, Snapchat's not my wheelhouse. I'm more of the Instagram, Facebook generation. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I can do that with my eyes closed. But so I lean on my on my amazing team and they and they they tell me mm. where women's health should be and then we decide out how we can cut the content to be relevant to that platform and appeal to the audience of that platform because the beauty of women's health as a brand is that our audience is very broad because mm. wellness is non-age specific yeah. you can be as engaged in wellness if you're 16 18 
uh, 70. You just mentioned Gladys before we were chatting off air that you, you, you've interviewed um, a woman who was 101. We've we've had women in the magazine um, who were doing strength training in their late 70s and, yeah. and look amazing, you know, they're really strong, fit women. So we have a really broad church and yes, on the different platforms, they sway to slightly different ages. So mm. print is a little bit older, you know, yeah. late 30s, early 40s onwards, Instagram, middle ground. Yeah. But then we got the, the young the young audience that we do need to attract and we do mm. need to get into the brand. So then we use platforms like TikTok to attract that crowd. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting even hearing you break it down like that, especially when you say print is, you know, this specific age, because, yeah, I, I often wonder, like I used to buy so many magazines, as I'm sure mm. lots of people probably did. I used to buy magazines to the point where, and this is when I was a student, I didn't have much money mm. and I would prioritise buying them over probably other things. And yeah. I would go to the stand and look and I'd be like, oh, I've read that, I've read that, I've read that. And I'd wait for the next week to get, you know, a new one. And I think now I probably only buy print magazines if it's a title, which I really, really, I don't know, maybe there's uh, a specific feature and I really want to read or when I'm travelling so I'll go to the airport and it feels like a luxury I'm like oh on the flight I'm going to read this magazine this, and I'll you know buy a whole stack of them but it definitely feels like a more infrequent purchase for myself and of course that's just anecdotal but I'm sure that you know I can't speak for everyone in terms of their habits and behaviours but I think that you know we just always hear that okay digital's eating print and all these kind of things but the magazine is still there I know yeah. it's still popular so you must be um, yeah I guess that balance and that jigsaw of like keeping them all yeah. um, going, but they're serving different different people. For me, the magazine, and we still are doing very well, especially for in subscribers. So you, you know, you've, you have the newsstand, but you can also subscribe to it, and we do very well with subscribers. For me, the the magazine is the core of the brand. Right. It is. It's the mothership. It's the foundation. There's been research actually that people trust print more than what the content they consume online because mm. there's a lot of noise online, you know, unqualified people making all sorts of unsubstantiated claims. So there's trust is born in print. And I and I think that the trust that people have in women's health in print mm. then allows the rest of the brand to flourish. That trust emanates. So our online content you can trust every word that you read there. We've recently launched a, a membership proposition for our more engaged audience. But part of the membership is the magazine as well, because we know there are people that absolutely love women's health in mm. print. Yeah. You know, they really love it. And and the cover stars that we have, we put influ I was one of the first brands to put influencers on the cover. When I took over the brand seven years ago in January, it'll be so say six and a half years ago. And there was a real sort of oh are we are we up against influencers you know can we can we work with them and that was it was like oh they're gonna they they it's them or us and I very quickly realised it's not a them or us situation at all we need to embrace influencers and in the world of social media into the world of print and then we can actually benefit each other. Mm. Um, so I was one of the first brands to put influencers on the cover of Women's Health like Kayla Estinas who was. Mm crazy famous at the time she's still huge huge now but at the time she was the because she's almost like the original fitness influencer you know we've had Alice Living on the cover we've had various um, Emily Sky and and they sell amazingly well because these online stars love being on the cover of a magazine there's something concrete and solid about print mm. whereas digital content is a bit more temporary a bit more um transient that said as a brand we are 100% fully integrated now so there we don't have team members who just work on print or digital everyone works across everything it's very much seen as as a uh one the content is very much seen as one there's no separation between um the platforms 
Yeah, and on on the topic of the content, because of course, as you just said, you know, they've got this wide uh, audience of different ages, different demographics, and as you know, health, fitness, well being, it should be accessible to everybody, mm-hmm. and it does include lots of different people and different um, yeah. experiences. So, how do you find this balance between you know, back in the day, you know, I've worked in the fitness industry for you know twelve years, and back in the day, it was very much I feel focused on. The physical fitness, the yeah. training, it was diet, it was, yeah. you know, it was getting abs, it was this, that and the other, but yeah. it was very much that. Mm-hmm. Then it's, you know, it's evolved um, to a better place where I think we're looking at overall well-being. So yeah. we talk about physical health, mental yeah. health, spiritual and emotional health. There's everything from, as you said, you know, the strength training in your 70s to pre-postnatal, all these things. But how do you then, I suppose create at the end of the day it's a magazine it's it's you know it's media it's a business you've got to sell them how do you create something that then speaks to you know lots of people without having I suppose contradictions or without having Mm. okay you know one feature which might be focused on I I feel like it must be such a constant balance and also to have that credible as you said it's credible information Mm. it's sourced and not go into the fact that oh some people want these I don't know quick trends or you know the the TikTok trends or there's this must I don't know how you do it really how do you manage that so when I first took over the brand the covers were still very much slim white a lot of US stars and and I I looked at it and thought British women are not relating to this like we need to to broaden the representation mm. of women in women's health and sorry and uh, not just the, the the images right but the words you know the words yeah, in the caption might the, be like the, you know get rid of cellulite and yeah. the next one might be like get a flat stomach but then the next one might be like you know mindfulness and it's kind mm. of yeah they feel sometimes I guess back yeah, then yeah there was a lot more um, emphasis on aesthetic mm. and not training for health sake but training to you know lean out and burn fat and build abs and all that and yes those cover lines existed and there's been a definite shift away from that as you said so we, we did research actually at Women's Health last year and the biggest reason that women said they train is to be happy which made me happy you know that that shift has happened I think COVID has a lot to do with that as well. So at the root of all our content, we we don't cover fads. It's it's all very credible wellness content that can be appealing to anyone, regardless of your age, size, socioeconomic status, etc. Obviously, we have content that may be perimenopausal, postmenopausal. So there's some content that is aimed at life stages, you know, prenatal mm. and all that. But generally, we try and avoid the type of content that is fads. And you will not, we, we don't do build your biceps type content anymore. We we just don't. We we make sure that we are covering wellness 360 responsibly sourced by medical professionals um that mental health content is very very well for us online now mm. it's it's as popular for us as as nutrition and fitness mm. so i think women especially have come round to the understanding that that wellness is an all encompassing state to be in and it's not to do with what you look like because mm. I remember, and you'll remember, you you will know this as well, God, there was a time when women were getting so shredded that they were losing their periods and stuff because mm. the aesthetic they were trying to get was like visible abs, but 
that's not healthy for a lot of women to have visible abs. Some women are just built like that. For some it is. Yeah, yeah I was yeah, going to no, say, because you have these, yeah, yeah. these polarisations, exactly as you said, yeah. sorry to jump in. I think often people will say that, won't they? They'll say, oh, you know, if this aesthetic, if that aesthetic, it was so much focused on the physical body. And yeah. if anything, we've polarised so much to the other side that sometimes now, I feel like women are almost ashamed to say, like, for example, if they're like, oh, I'm trying to tone my legs or, oh, I'm trying yeah. to lose three. People are like, you should love your body as it is. Don't lose weight. Diet culture this. And it's almost like, gosh, you, you're not even allowed to decide your own what you want to do with your own body yeah. and I think but yeah going back to the, to your point it, it's not one size doesn't fit all when it comes to health and aesthetic does not define health so for somebody yeah. who yeah for example myself you know I'm a mixed race I'm a woman of colour I've had you know a very athletic body from a very young age I remember being 12 years old and thinking oh gosh I've got muscles and you know certainly wasn't something that was celebrated it certainly mm. wasn't something that everybody said oh goals back then people would be like oh you know you look like a boy or you know it's all of that and then it became fashionable suddenly it was fashionable yeah. to be like tell us how to get abs and now probably it's gone away and it's like oh Oh, don't have abs and it's just it is kind of constant it's like women cannot win you know yeah although I do think there's um, a much broader representation of women's wonderful diversity in in the media generally and especially in women's health now I, I do think different body shapes are being celebrated uh, mm. the CrossFit physique that yeah. was very unusual three four years ago that you know that was to see a woman that muscly and she looks so strong was not commonplace mm. but now that's celebrated yeah. isn't it and and curves are celebrated you know as you know lean body shapes you know it's i do feel that there's a there's a there's a better representation of of women generally in the media and especially in the um, pages of women's health but to go back to your point about weight loss there is nothing wrong with wanting to lose weight. Right. I'm the editor chief of Women's Health. There is nothing wrong with wanting to lose weight. In fact, I want to lose a bit of weight at the moment. You know, I've I've just recovered from quite serious illness. As a result, I'm not comfortable in my skin. You know, there is nothing wrong with wanting to lose ten pounds to a stone if it is going to benefit your health. And we do cover weight loss in Women's Health, but what we don't cover is lose seven pounds in two weeks type yeah. diets. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we if we cover things, let's say the keto. You know, there's this various fad diets go around. We will cover keto, but we will cover it in such a way we'll say, everyone's talking about the keto. Mm. This is what you it's need the to science. know. Yeah, the yes. evidence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we would never say you should do the keto diet. Yeah. You yeah. know, so so we, we do cover weight loss. And it's, I agree with you, in some circles, it's become a, a dirty word. Yeah. And I, I respectfully disagree with that. Mm. It, it can benefit your health. It mm. can, to lose weight can benefit your health and it's your choice you know we talk yeah. about choice we talk about women being empowered to make decisions and choose whatever they want yeah. and it's like well you can choose whatever you want as long as it's what we're currently asking you to choose mm. and yeah I do think you know poor women that's just like you can't win as I said you know there's a constant uh, fashion or something that we're supposed to adhere to and if you don't for whatever reason even if it's like just genetics you know people that are incredibly naturally they might be incredibly slim and actually you know constantly being told that you, you should, they should gain weight it's like mm. you know it's constant I guess commentary essentially on women's bodies and I don't think you know that's necessarily going to change mm. anytime soon but moving on from that I think you know we're talking about the, the wellness industry and I guess uh, the wider industry not just women's health and you know certain Certainly myself as a person of colour and, you know, we've talked a little bit about representation, but I feel like there's still places in the wellbeing industry where it's very expensive, yeah. where it's very white, where it's very, you know, it, it still exists. I think in some areas it's definitely getting better. What do you think the role of media, not just women's health, but media in general plays in this conversation around diversity and inclusion and around
around people of all different, you know, ethnic minorities and marginalised groups, seeing that wellness is something that should be afforded to everyone. Mm. It doesn't have to be, you know, £100 pair of leggings or thousands and thousands of pounds on, you know, exotic retreats, all these kind yeah. of things. Like wellness at its core should actually be accessible to everyone, but it still doesn't feel like it is. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think wellness can come across as terribly white and middle class. I mean, we try very, very hard at Women's Health to for that not to be the case. So we ensure that we have free workouts on YouTube, for instance. You know, we we would never we if if we include kit in the magazine that you know the hundred pound leggings and i love a hundred pound leggings you know i won't name the brand but there's a brand that we all love and they do feel amazing but for a lot of people that's ridiculous to spend that amount of money on on those leggings so we we include much cheaper um much cheaper fit kit etc we then we launched a campaign um called it starts the bra in partnership with under armor and that was born out of my experience of growing up in the south wales valleys and going back home and seeing that the people in my village are clearly not engaging in wellness and obesity is endemic. There's a lot of chronic disease and a lot of it is because these people simply feel that they can't afford to do it. They can't mm. afford to join a gym. They can't afford to buy the kit, etc. So we created a campaign where we partnered with Under Armour and we donated bras to various women organisations up and down the countries, like sort of women's charities, refugees, um, etc. And and then we created content around the campaign so they could follow these workouts. So the, th- the thinking was at the, at the foundation of any woman's sports kit is a good bra. If you're above a B cup, mm. you need you need a good bra, mm. you know. So we, we, we try and, and do our bit and try and and try and give back that's a terrible phrase but you you know I, I just try and make it more accessible mm. um but you're but you're absolutely you're absolutely right I can see how expensive gym memberships and but that we you know we, we've created our, our membership proposition um which is really reasonable price and that and there's loads of online workouts on there and yeah. plans to follow and, and follow on so th- there are ways that you can consume exercise these days and you don't have to spend a fortune and in terms of representation not only do I work hard to ensure there's a wide representation of women across the brand on all its platforms, but we also work hard to ensure that we give that we have a diverse contributors. So yeah. we make sure that we have writers from diverse backgrounds, etc., creating our content. That's so, so we make sure that it? it's authentic. Yeah, yeah, it's so important, isn't it? Because I think that's often, you know, that seemed to be the case a few years ago that a lot of Brands, especially in the wellbeing industry, were like, oh, actually, yeah, wow, everybody that we've worked with is white and everybody that we're working Mm. with is, you know, as you said, middle class and white and slim. And they kind of went, oh, quick, let's address it and let's put this person here. And, you know, lots of people reached out to people like myself. But behind the scenes, if those things, as you said, if the contributors, if the team, if the if the organisations aren't, you know, Mm. structurally diverse, then it can just be like the shop window. And it's, you know, I think a lot of businesses and brands kind of did that to start with and hopefully they've it's, it's changed because I know I know brands that kind of you know did that even sports brands that I won't name but they had the campaign and they might have had as I say someone like myself or they might have had a black woman in the campaign mm. but the entire creative team from photography videography yeah. styling every single person on the team on the set was white and yeah. probably sometimes 70% men 
mm. which I thought was bizarre because I used to, as you know, be in that industry. I'm not so much now, but I think it is starting to change. I'm definitely seeing lots more diverse creative teams um, and contributors, and I think it's incredibly important. So, yeah, thank you for it's yeah, and it's but it's a slow journey. It is yeah. starting to change, but it's not happening overnight, yeah. and it can't happen overnight. And so a way that we overcome it at Women's Health is that we use diverse contributors. Mm. Um, so if we haven't got a particularly diverse staff at the moment, but then we the ambition going forward is to make things more diverse. But in the meantime, we have diverse freelance contributors. And that's what I know brands are doing while they try and look at the diversity within their teams and improve things. But it's not it's not something that can happen overnight because the media and the creative industry generally historically, as you said, mm. has been staffed by mm. white people. Yeah. And I think, again, this is another show, but I think there's a lot of social economic factors as to even why that is the case, because, mm. you know, living in a city like London, one of the most expensive cities in the world, I think, you know, I talked about this with uh, a friend of mine who works in publishing, and she was saying that, yeah, often those people who, when she started, she said you had to pretty much work for nothing, you'd be working for a yeah. really, really low salary, and she was like, if you couldn't afford to, you know, if you couldn't live at home, if you couldn't afford to pay rent in London, mm. then there was no way you were going to be able to do it, because you mm. couldn't afford to live on that salary. So I'm sure there's lots and lots of reasons it's very complex and nuanced but um yeah thank you for for talking to us about that so looking ahead something i love to do love to look at the future and to get excited about new ideas and new things and what's coming down the road what are you excited about when you look forward to the future of women's health magazine and the future of 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 media so i'm Really looking forward to growing our membership proposition. I feel that a lot of brands are launching uh, membership models now to really engage with their core customer. I think it's a huge opportunity for us. It's something that we're working on now to improve. We launched it last year, but there's improvements happening as we speak. So watch this space. And I think it's a really exciting time for women's health. So we're going to, you know, with a hybrid um, content, but fitness experiential proposition. Ooh. And I think that is an exciting um yeah an exciting opportunity mm. and i know the the appetite is there from our audience because there's there was brand industry research recently and women's health came up as one of the most trusted female publishing brands in the country mm. so it was in it was in the top 3 so we we know that our audience really trust us and are very engaged with us yeah. and we're very lucky and in a in a really privileged position to to have that yeah. um so we just want to create amazing content for them but i think we want to bring experiential more into it as well oh, sounds exciting right up my street i i think even the word experiences i'm like yes i've been talking about this a lot because obviously we AI and the new releases of some of the tech companies. You probably saw the the Apple uh, mm. Vision, so Vision, the headset. For anyone who hasn't seen it, essentially, it's a uh, the next, I suppose, evolution. It's called they're calling it spatial computing. So it's a headset that you wear, and you know, there's a quite a big discussion online. I suppose it's launched in the US, where it's three and a half thousand dollars so again not an accessible price point and people are kind of I did a poll on my Instagram stories and 95% of people said they weren't interested in purchasing this kind of thing Mm. which I was kind of surprised about because I think often people say that and then I don't know I I think adoption especially someone like Apple that makes such incredible products I Mm. think people will want to adopt this but going back to what you said about experiences I think as the world is going to move and continues to it seems the biggest tech companies are focused on giving us VR experiences, giving virtual reality experiences, I, maybe I'm getting just too old, feel like a lot of people are going to want real life experiences, in-person experiences. And actually, you know, I love to travel. I was away last weekend and I sat there and I thought, 
I could put on a VR headset from home and probably have an experience that's like, I'm in Alaska or I'm mm. in Italy, or I'm, but you're not. And actually mm. just being there, I was like, actually, is anything ever going to replace this? Mm. So I think people do want experiences and I think people want to join with others after having years of being separated from people. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's all about communication and it's, it, it nourishes your soul. You know, there's, we, um, there's a term called um, social nutrition, and it's the concept of how you are nourished by social interaction. And it's something that is missing from a lot of our lives, especially the younger demographic. Mm-hmm. They've got very used to not communicating yeah. in real life with people, which I think is sad. Yeah. Um, and because there's such benefit from being around with people and absorbing their energy and yeah. imparting you know, your knowledge to each other in real life over a coffee, you know, where mm-hmm. it's... It, there's nothing to replace that. You know, we, yeah. we have, a, a, as most companies know, hybrid working model and it's brilliant. It benefits me in many, many ways. But there are some days when I work from home and I feel quite down and like deflated. Flat. Yeah, I'm like that. At the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And I you know, really enjoy coming into the office. Yeah. I really, you know, I love chatting to people and, yeah. you know, all different types of people. And I like the commute even because I love people watching. I yeah. know, you know, and You're an expert like me. I, I'm totally yeah. like that. When I'm at home all day working by myself, at the end of the day, yeah, I feel like I'm flat and my energy is like, oh, because I haven't seen another person. Yeah. And it's interesting what you said about so- social nutrition. Social so, nutrition is a phrase, yes. I like that. And there's I like been that. some research um, into it. We Yeah, we, we've spoke a lot about it at the end of COVID and how... There's been research that mm. people were just not getting their social interaction and they they weren't nourishing their soul and there's there's very real health medical benefits yeah yeah from, we know that. from being around people well there's um the the um you know I've read the book about blue zones and there's um six places in the world where they have the highest percentage of centenarians women that people that live over a hundred yeah and one of the commonalities between all the blue zones is social interaction. So yeah. there's one in Japan or something. Community. Yeah, yeah. And, they, and you've got these women, there's pictures of these women who are over 100 all sitting together at night having a chat and a yeah. wag. And yeah. I feel like we've lost a bit of that. Yeah, the community yeah. part is, is really key and communication, as you said, connection. And also not, not just positive. So when you mentioned about young people and, you know, maybe they're losing a bit of that, it's not even just the positive part of interaction where like you said you're meeting with a friend for coffee but also there's the part I think around conflict resolution or around Mm. having yeah thoughtful disagreements or somebody who's not very nice to you in the playground you have to figure it out and I think where we are I guess yeah more siloed and you can send an emoji or you can send a message or an email it's not the same as having those in in the moment interactions which of course when they're positive that's great but when they're not that also teaches us a different kind of communication skill Mm. which I think for a lot of young people I'm hearing anyway especially friends that have got nieces nephews like teenage years and they're like they can't communicate they can't have conflict they can't they don't know what to do because Mm. they've never done it they've just sent an emoji or they just delete the message if they don't like the response you can't do that in a real conversation yeah we're we're going we've just given my son he's 11 this weekend and he's got his first phone ready for him to go to high school oh the whatsapp group drama oh so-and-so's left the group another one's left the group and there's a and yeah. they, they're now, all the communication is happening over WhatsApp groups. I'm like, well, you, you've got a son a year older than mine, so you might have similar experiences. But I just, yeah, the, the his his friends seem to sit in the same, the, you know, they, they go to cricket training and they're all sat there 
on their phones communicating oh, with each other. I know, yeah. And you think, what? what's like, that all about? I know, I know, honestly. And I'm going to sound like such a, like, I, I'm a, I love tech. That's the thing, ironic thing. Yeah. I, le- I work in tech. I love tech. But I do think, yeah, when it comes to these things, like my, basically my son's dad is a secondary school teacher he's a deputy head yeah so he has as so much experience in this over the last 10 years and how it's changed so as a result of that my son doesn't have whatsapp he does have a phone but he doesn't have whatsapp Smart. and he's kind of like it's a little bit like he doesn't know what he's missing because yeah. the friends yeah who do it, like you said the drama this person that person i mean we can have a whole chat about it afterwards but essentially i said to him oh you know you don't need it and so far he's just been like oh, okay and he said to me the other day he said apparently there was a group called the cool kids i mean come oh. on and they'd only let certain people and he went oh i don't know what's going on in that because i don't have whatsapp and i was like great you know, i i wish we'd never introduced it yeah. Well, well, I'm sure it would be fine, but it's yeah. like there's all these challenges and things. And I, as I say, text brought us some wonderful, wonderful things. But as always, there's challenges with any innovation. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. But we have to move on to the Power Hour section because, as you know, I ask everyone on this show to share with us their their morning routine, their Power Hour. Claire, you obviously have so much access to all the expert tools, the tips, the tricks over the years, and as you said, all the experts that contribute. So I was really interested to know what your morning routine is, what time you typically get up, and if there's anything that you include or don't include, and why. So my, um, I have two children, an 11-year-old and a 7-year-old. So my morning starts quite early and can be quite stressful when they're bickering and not listening to me. So <laughs> I would love to be one of these women that can get up and meditate and, you know, drink lemon water. And they just, it, I'll be completely brutally honest, it doesn't happen. So so my morning is I get up, I do drink water immediately. I, I do, that's the good thing. But then I get on the coffee. I know you should leave it until midday and blah, 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 but I don't. But one thing I do, once I've sorted the children out, so, and that can be stressful, one thing I do almost every day is exercise. It's my, it's my thing. It's always been my thing. It's, it's my genuine lifelong passion. So it could be a run, it could be a walk, it could be strength training. I do. I'm very lucky. I I set up a, a home gym when during COVID. I slowly yeah. set it all up. So, so I have a Peloton bike and a treadmill. So I'll I'll do something, and it just sets me up for the day. Um, well, this morning I'm lucky enough to have a personal trainer so I went to third space around the corner here in Soho and I trained with um Joe Thornton and I love strength training like I'm I was my 45th birthday yesterday and I have I've just been getting over really quite serious illness I had kidney failure and I'm just getting my mojo back and I hit a PB this morning with my deadlift wow. and I think wow yeah. congratulations I and mean I think, well firstly that yeah that you're recovering so yeah. well and also that your body has responded in yeah. this way like you know maybe the rest as well I don't know how long you've been resting for yeah. but sometimes when you rest and you come back stronger literally you well, just this, have this is what the, the trainer said this morning he said you've gone from there um you, you, you went up and then I really went backwards and mm. I was I was you know, really not strong and he said you seem to have flown since you've you've come back training which is amazing the body can do that mm. and I say I'm in my 
mid-40s now and perimenopausal. Yeah, I'm getting Also, PBs, the listeners can't is... see you, Claire, and you look incredible. And to <laughs> say you say you just had your 45th birthday, your skin, when you're saying about, you're like, oh, I'll just get up and have some water. I'm like, how much water is she drinking? Because this skin, I'm like, what's the skincare routine? There must be something. Oh. So it's the exercise, the water. Yeah, and, and nutrition. I... It, keep it, you know, the simple things in life. I know the power of good nutrition, yeah. and my nutrition has been off lately, actually. And I've definitely been eating a lot of processed foods and stuff, and I can feel it. You know, I can feel my mood is low, my energy is fluctuating. I've just watched that documentary, the Panorama documentary about ultra processed food. Terrifying. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. anyone who hasn't listened to it yet, I had the Dr. Chris Tullican, so oh, the author got, got of the book. Yes, yeah. of ultra processed people. He was on, yeah. <clears throat> I think, a few weeks ago. The episode. So many people have listened to it because I say to people, regardless of your current diet, regardless of how much ultra-processed food you think you consume, just listen to it because I was somebody who thought I don't really eat that much ultra processed food and then suddenly as soon as you look and say what yeah. are you eating that's not if you open it out of a packet essentially yeah. or if it's got more than three or four ingredients it's probably ultra yeah. processed so yeah diving into that world was pretty shocking yeah. um, and it's not as we talked about so much it's not just about the shape and size of your waist but it's all the other things that it's yeah. doing as you mentioned mood you know it, yeah. it affects the gut microbes it affects our appetite it yeah. affects our sleep there's so many things actually it's wild yeah so good nutrition well, yeah and i and i th- i think i generally eat quite well but i'm i'm a my my um weakness is sugar like sugary carbs you know yeah, pastries i do know and all, yeah. and all that type of stuff and i've recently had many many blood tests after i was ill and one came back and i've got a slightly high cholesterol and i it took me i it you could have knocked me off my feet because I thought, are you kidding me? Like, I, I haven't eaten meat in years. Right. So I would never sit there and eat a fry-up. Yeah. And I don't have much dairy. Do you eat much egg? many eggs? I eat, not, not loads. No. I do eat eggs, but yeah, not, not loads. loads yeah. Like, I could go all week and not eat an yeah. egg. But, but some I of these eat... things can be elevated, can't they, due to our kind of, you know, genetic yeah, dis- yeah, disposition. I think, I think there is that. But, um, but it just goes to, but I do eat like chocolate and stuff like mm. that. And I'm, you know, I'm terrible for pastries and stuff. And, and I've got slightly high cholesterol, so I need to reduce that. So it just goes to show that there can be something going on inside your body. Yeah. Um, so, yes. And I so I, I need to look at my nutrition again. I need to go back to basics. I need to, I need to really, I was speaking to my friend about this this morning. About four years ago, five years ago, I went vegan overnight. Mm. I just decided, I actually watched that documentary on Netflix. What was it called? Changemakers or something. Um, you know, the the one, the vegan documentary mm. that's, you know. We all watched some, it, yeah. yes. So, you know, some of the claims have since been somewhat questioned. But but anyway, I went vegan overnight and I was vegan for two and a half years religiously. Me and too. Then, Claire, yeah. I did two years of veganism. I yeah. said I was going to try it for six weeks yeah. and it lasted for two years. Yeah. And I look back on that now because often people are like, are you vegan? I'm like, no, I was. But yeah, yeah it was years ago. But it's interesting you said that because yeah. I kind of, yeah, two years was how long I did it as well. Um, but yeah, carry on. Well, no, that's, that's, and then I, I actually um, had, I went to a, a clinic in, in Austria for work. It was called Viva Maya. And they did lots of tests on me and they said, you really should eat more protein and mm. and um and I was like well I can't eat meat I'm not not eating meat so I will eat fish yep. so then that's when I started introducing um fish into my diet but the the point the reason I reference this is I had the strength of character to overnight cut out dairy and meat yeah yet <laughs> I struggle with processed food like it's I, I I'm that addicted to it yeah. And there's there's so many additives in there that has been yeah. proven they're addictive. Why, it's yeah. like, you know, the people say it's more addictive than crack. Chocolate is more addictive than crack. 
I there's yeah. there is there is truth in that yeah. because something in me mm. makes me reach for the food that I know is bad for me. Mm. I have enough more knowledge than a nutritionist. You know, yeah. I have I I I'm a walking talking wellness encyclopedia. You know, <laughs> you want to know anything about the perimenopause? I'm your girl. Yeah. You know, any, I, anything. Um, Beast, yeah. But the, it has a it has a hold over me, mm. and I've, I'm so cross about it. Yeah, yeah but the, the, but the been... thing is, as you said, these things, the the ultra processing, the different kind of the science, I suppose, of the the combinations of the foods, the sugar, yeah. the salt, the fats, the different things, the taste, the flavors. There's a reason that yeah, it's so addictive, as you said. And you know, having the the fortitude or the willpower or whatever to decide, okay, I'm going to go vegan, as as I did. And at the time, it's so interesting because I think there's so much pressure. You know, whether it's sustainability, whether it's the health of the planet the health of your body there's just so much information and I think I was probably like you know what let me just give it a go as Mm. I said I always think just try it for yourself don't listen to everybody just try it so after six weeks it became six months it became a year and and on and on Um, and the reason I uh, went back to introducing animal products to my diet was simply for my running you know I was training Mm. I was doing endurance and I just felt that yeah in order for me to eat enough you you say protein and things whatever I just personally made the decision I was like you know what this isn't for me but going back to what you said around ultra-processed foods, around food addictions and these things that kind of feel as though we know they don't satiate us, they know we know they don't, you know, they're not good for us or whatever, but it's so hard. I think the presence of it, I'm somebody who's quite all or nothing, quite yeah. binary, so I feel like I either have something, alcohol being a good example, didn't used to drink at all, now my husband's introduced me to all these delicious wines and we drink cocktails together and we love it. And for me, I'm like, if I'm drinking alcohol, I'm just going to drink all the alcohol. Yeah. But if I'm not, I will literally just turn off a switch and say, I'm not drinking alcohol. I don't drink mm. alcohol for four weeks, yeah. but I can't just have one cocktail. No. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have eight cocktails. Yeah. Like, yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. So I think maybe personality is if you're a binary person, sometimes yeah. it's like, but then also, do you really want to cut out something like, for example, you said chocolate or pastries and never have it again because it's life you know we have to almost like think what is the trade-off is it worth it obviously health is the most important thing but I do think sometimes there's other kinds of health benefits to having a glass of wine or having a piece of birthday yeah. cake that are just so important it's just yeah it's a it's a tightrope I think what I need to do though and I know this from historically I initially I do need to cut out sugar and fats like uh, processed but and then I can I could just have a slice of birthday cake if it mm, was you know? yeah but I'm I'm in the cycle of the moment of mm. reaching for it too regularly mm-hmm. and it is not good for my mental health and certainly mm. not good for my physical health. So, mm. But I am like you. You know, you these people say, so I open a bar of chocolate and I have one square and put the rest in the fridge. I'm like, what is wrong with those people? That would talk to me all night. Those that's... people, I think there's actually something, I don't know, yeah. I don't trust those people. No. I'm like, that's a, that's a ninja level of yeah. will. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same as you. If I oh. have the whole thing or don't have it yeah. at all. Oh, they say I put it on the top <laughs> shelf. Yes, and I would just get a chicken. <laughs> get it down from the top shelf. You know? Honestly, I once felt incredibly judged because I ate an entire Terry's chocolate orange and somebody said to me, what, oh. didn't you eat feel sick? You ate the whole thing. I said, oh. listen, it comes in one wrapper, therefore yeah. it is one portion. <laughs> when they appear at Christmas time, I'm all over them. Okay. Yes. Oh, um, Claire, yeah, we digress. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Honestly, I feel like we could talk for much longer. I've really, really enjoyed it. It took a while. I think there was, um, you know, we've tried to make this happen and I'm so glad that we did. Thank so thank you. you for joining us. Thank you so much. I've been. It's been a lovely, lovely morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks everyone for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this conversation, then please do share it with others. Let us know. You can give us feedback. You can comment, rate, review, all of that good stuff. And I'll be back next week with another episode.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 